You ever start a movie late at night after a long day with no intention of finishing it, but it pulls you in? Then you have to talk about it with your friends and family because it was so good or so bad? You, my friend, are not alone. Welcome to the Midnight Watch Podcast. Hello fellow watchers, welcome back to the Midnight Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back and review older movies from the blockbusters to the lackbusters and see how relevant they are today. We're your hosts Jeremy and Josh and we have an amazing show for you today. Yeah, and just so you know, we're always very heavy handed on the spoilers here. We try to review movies that are at least 10 years old. We like to rate these movies in three categories. Number one, did it hit its mark when it was released? Number two, is it still relevant today? And number three, give it a, a rating for personal enjoyment. So Jeremy, what have we got for the people today? Today, we present to you, all the way from 2002, starring the greatest Scientologist of all time, excluding John Travolta, the epic sci-fi thrill ride, Minority Report. Yeah! That was... <laughs> all right. That was Let's pretty dive bad. right into <laughs> All right, I'm excited about this one. Actually, I've been—I haven't seen this movie in, I think, literally since like 2003, something like that. It's been a while since I've seen this movie. So yeah, I saw it. I saw it the year it came out. Um, I watched it with my friend Tim. I can't remember if we went to the theaters or if we just rented it mm-hmm. as soon as it came out on video. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I was definitely would have not been allowed to see this movie when it came out. So it might have even been like. 2005 when i finally saw this film okay but yeah so this was 2002 and that was the year i got married really i didn't know that for some reason i was thinking that makes sense i was there yeah that makes sense right. <laughs> you were kind of you were kind of in the wedding i was kind of in the wedding you're right <laughs> yeah well and i think this is interesting too like uh, the movie that actually stood out to me at in this year, 2002, most definitely stayed with me was Spider-Man. Oh, for sure. It came out, that came out like a month after this movie, I believe. It came out around July. So this movie, I, I heard about it for sure because it was a Steven Spielberg movie, but I did not watch it because it was ultra-violent at the time, even though it was PG-13. Right. But... Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It, uh... Spider-Man was way more impactful. I just I have good memories just watching that with you, and then also it, you know, that was my favorite. Still is, I think, my favorite now, superhero. Really, now it it's all coming it. back to me and making sense. Yeah, because I remember that we went and saw. When did you get married? Like what month? September. Yeah, because we went and saw that before. He, that makes sense. We went and saw Spider-Man before he got married. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Okay, I remember that now. So a little couple trivia about Minority Report at the time. It was directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Tom Cruise, Colin Farrell, Samantha Morton, and Max von Sydow. What was the first movie that you saw Max von Sydow in? Uh, to be honest, I can't think of anything. Well, for me, it was Strange Brew. <laughs> and that is the worst movie to see him in <laughs> as the first as a first role cuz he's such an amazing actor in that movie. I love that movie. It is so cheesy though but it's just 
It's not his role isn't funny unless you've seen him in these other serious roles. I get it. Yeah, I forgot he was in that movie. That's one I haven't seen in such a long time. Yeah, but I also famous, I also love it and wore that one out too. Yeah, his his famous intro in that is when he comes out of the bathroom out of the wall. <laughs> that's the <laughs> that's the level that we need to re- review that movie sometime this year for sure. Yeah, I agree. So this movie was actually Minority Report, not Strange Brew. Uh, Minority Report was actually rated 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. I believe this was before Rotten Tomatoes kind of was a thing. But it was one of the best-reviewed films, actually, of 2002, and it was nominated for several awards. Right. The budget was $102 million, and it made worldwide $358.4 million. So... This was definitely a Spielberg hit. I don't know if it was as big as like an Indiana Jones or a Jaws hit, but it was still going strong. And Tom Cruise had not gotten out of cruise control at this time yet. That was when War of the Worlds is when people started to not like Tom Cruise as an actor okay. because of his personal life choices. Right. This was the first movie that John, or that not John, Tom Cruise and Steven Spielberg were actually able to work together, even though they've been wanting to work together. I think for like over 10 years or something like that. So one thing that I discovered when I was looking at IMDb and just, just checking out the cast for this movie, there's an actor named George Wallace who in the movie when Tom Cruise is running the pre-crime scenario and they're finding who the next uh, suspect is, there are two witnesses, a chief justice and I can't remember who the other person is, but another legal person who they're the witnesses while they run the program and, and find the suspect. So this, the, the man, it's a man and a woman. The man is George Wallace, who was in an old serial that we used to watch back in the day, back from the, uh, came out in the 1950s. But those Rocket Man movies or Rocket Man serials that we used to watch, there was Zombies from the Stratosphere, it had Leonard uh, Nimoy was in it. I, it was kind of like the Rocketeer. Yeah, I mean, I totally remember those. Those were awesome. Yeah, so he was he wasn't in the the zombies from the Stratosphere. They had changed the the main actor for that one, but he was in the previous one that came out I don't know, a couple years before called Radar Men from the Moon, and he was called Commando Cody, and it was supposed to be this big huge thing, which it never really turned into anything. But somehow we found out about it in the nineties. I think they had it on TV or something. And we all, like, our whole family, I think, totally loved it. Wait, uh, the Commando Cody or the Rocket Man thing? Uh, just the whole series of serials. There was, oh. like, three of them. Yeah. that there was. I think the last one was King of the Rocket Man, something like that. And then that's what the Rocketeer movie, the, the Disney movie, is loosely based off of. Yes, exactly. Actually, the King of the Rocket Man was the first one. That one came out in 1949. Oh, okay. So that's cool. Take that. I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know that. That's cool. It makes me want to go back and watch those again. Those are like right. That was some intense t- television that we watched as as kids. Yeah, I just remember having so much fun. I think it was my thirteenth or fourteenth birthday party. I had like a sleepover and we rented it. Oh, sweet. and stayed up stayed up all night watching it. It was it was pretty fun, dude. I love the part. My favorite thing though, thinking about it back now. Uh, was just like for him to go up was he had the switches on his chest plate yeah <laughs> and he had to turn the knob to go up to fly to up. or fly lower <laughs> it's just like yeah yeah that was <laughs> and it spools up yeah that was so funny um 
excellent, excellent uh, primetime serials. Those they played those one movie or one chapter, which was like twelve or thirteen minutes long before the film that you went to go see. So people used to go to the right. theaters like every weekend. So that's why you'd actually be able to watch a twelve chapter serial because you would probably go to the theater twelve weeks in a row. So right. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely poor man's entertainment. So you definitely it would was, go every week. That is before the the good times of VHS and Beta for sure. Oh yeah. So yeah, that was none of that for sure. So jumping back. Oh, I did before we get back to the other one. One little thing: they actually took that uh, Zombies of the Stratosphere movie after the fact and edited it down to f- uh, feature film length and released it as. Um, its own movie called Saint Satan's Satellites. That's a which. That's an intense name change. It is totally for a bunch of Martians. It's uh, they really went crazy on that. So I'm gonna have to try to find that one. That might be kind of fun to to review as a feature film instead of the serial. That sounds perfect. All right, crawling back out of the rabbit hole and back to Minority Report. Where are we? Okay, so let's see. Going back to some information about Minority Report. Before we talk about the plot of the movie, um, interesting thing here that Steven Spielberg at the time claimed that he had not taken a salary on a movie in 18 years. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's a freaking long time. Right. So he wanted Tom Cruise to do the same, and so they actually reportedly agreed to receiving no upfront money in exchange for approximately 15% of the box office. So I did a little bit of math, and they made off of this movie $53 million each. That is a that's, that's not, a nice that's chunk not of change right not there. too shabby no yeah considering I saw that quote okay. as well and he I think he said that also that he's like yeah I don't work with movie stars he's like if Dang. I if I'm taking a risk you're taking a risk Spielberg said that yeah oh that's pretty awesome I mean yeah. he he's deserved it though he invented the term blockbuster by him like him and George Lucas together right he's kind of so he's kind of the goat when it comes to his style of filmmaking yeah. He really is, for sure. And let's see here. The thing that's interesting, too, is John Williams, who the fabulous did the fabulous score on this. This is actually one of, one score that really has stayed with me throughout the years. I just I can immediately remember the score from this movie, unlike a lot of John Williams' other standalone scores. Uh-huh. And excluding, like, Jaws. Well, no, Jaws has a, is a series of movies now, so never mind. Um, still waiting for Jaws 19 to come out. Of course. But we'll see when that happens. But, uh, yeah, anyways, I love this score, though. It's so good. But it looks like he actually was scoring Attack of the Clones, and normally he would come in and score this movie before they had filmed it, but this time he didn't have the time, so they filmed it, and he would literally watch the movie and then scored the movie while watching the movie instead of doing the score beforehand, and then they edited it to his score. So Oh, wow. That's very uh, he enjoyed, quite enjoyed that though but that's pretty cool so i got some more information about john williams later once we uh, jump into the synopsis of the the film so you want to hear a little bit about the author of this story mr philip k dick yes absolutely okay so for all you dickheads out there uh he is known for <laughs> <That's> so dumb <laughs> it's like a dirty dad joke i know anyways uh let's see so philip k dick his fiction explores um very philosophical and social themes 
uh, features a lot of recurrent elements such as alternate realities, uh, simulacra, large corporations, drug abuse, uh, authoritarian governments, altered states of consciousness, and uh, his work uh, was concerned with questions surrounding the nature of reality, perception, human nature, and identity. So here's a few of his books that were, were turned into films. Uh, or TV series for that matter. You have 1962's Man in the High Castle, which won a Hugo Award, which is a big deal for a science fiction author. And as we know, it was uh, turned into a series on Amazon Prime, which I really enjoyed. I think it was a, it was a great series. Still need to read the book, though. And- I, it's kind of funny. I, I, um, I read the book, and I, I definitely think that Philip K. Dick... It, I have to finish the series. I was enjoying it. I'm in season two. I need to f- finish it. But uh, one thing I, th- about Philip K. Dick that's interesting is I feel like he's got a, great ideas, but he's actually not that great of an author. But So when somebody takes his idea and then transforms it into something else, it, it's really cool. I, I didn't – like I like the idea of The Man in the High Castle, but the TV show took it to such different heights that, that I was really enjoying that a lot more. Cool. That's awesome. Um, another one that you might have heard of, Blade Runner, was based mm-hmm. on his book entitled Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Uh, another one that I think we're going to get to, well, I imagine we'll probably review Blade Runner 2 at some point, but another one that uh, we'll probably get to, A Scanner Darkly from 1977. Uh, came out as a movie in 2006. The Adjustment Bureau... Uh, was turned into a movie in 2011. And Total Recall, which was a short story called We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. I didn't know that the Adjustment Bureau was Philip K. Dick. Yeah. Huh. I didn't see that movie. Now I actually, now I need to go see that movie. Yeah, and I I agree with you. He, his concepts are, are very cool. Though, uh, and I know we'll talk about it here in a minute, reading the short story, Minority Report, it was a pretty good short story. Yeah, actually, I'm yeah I'm not a big fan of his of his books, but I feel like his short stories are better. And I agree, I actually really enjoyed the Minority Report short story. Yeah, there's something to be said of of a skilled, skillfully written short story. It's I don't know if it's if you could say it's a lost art, but it's definitely its own literary art form. Yeah, it really is. Okay, well let's uh, let's do something here that you and I had talked about. There are. I think we're going to have some listeners who may not have seen the movies we're talking about, but maybe they're interested in the movie and maybe they're not even intending to ever watch the movie. So just so you, the listener know what we're talking about, we're going to start giving you more of a complete plot breakdown every podcast of the movie that we're talking about, just so that you can be up to speed on our, our commentary. So you know what the heck we're talking about. Exactly. This is a two, almost uh, just shy of two and a half hour long movie, and we are going to give it to you in a five minute breakdown. So take it away, Josh. Okay, here we go. (laughs) So this is based on the novella by, as we were just discussing, the famed science fiction writer Philip K. Dick. Minority Report is an action detective thriller set in Washington, D.C. in the year 2054. The main character is named Captain John Anderton who runs the pre-crime unit. And before I get any further, this is a more or less uh, breakdown of the plot. I totally might have some things a little bit wrong, but I'm 95% sure that I have enough of it right to where 
you'll understand what the what the story's about. If, yeah, if you've seen it, leave us a comment. Tell us how wrong we were. And yes. if you haven't seen it, you'll never know. So take you'll it, never know. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to it. Pre-crime is basically three psychic mutants, also known as precogs, that see visions of future crimes being committed. These future criminals are then arrested before they can commit these crimes, thus nearly eliminating murder, uh, specifically in Washington, D.C. These precogs, precogs, precogs <laughs> are twin brothers and a girl. Normally, they all see the same future scenario, but if one of them sees a contradictory future, it is then called a minority report. So next uh, main character that we have is named Danny Whitware. He's an agent from the United States Department of Justice who is at the pre-crime unit to perform an audit so the government can decide if they want to roll out pre-crime nationwide. Now, a little bit of background on the main character, Anderton. He lost his only child, his son. Then his wife divorced him, and now he has a secret drug addiction to cope with you know, the loss of all of that. So with that background out of the way, the story kind of keeps moving on and really gets going. So now we see Anderton getting framed when the precogs see him murdering a man. And then he decides he better get on the run and get away from that situation and try to save himself. Now Whitware takes charge in chasing him down. And in true Spielberg fashion, we have an epic chase scene that happens. So after Anderton escapes, he tracks down the creator of pre-crime. This is when he learns about the minority reports, which usually come specifically from the girl precog. And then he decides he needs to get that report to clear his name. So now we find that minority reports have been covered up to protect the program so the public doesn't see its fallibility. Next, he goes and gets an illegal black market eyeball transplant. And this is because in the future, according to the story, eye scans are how people are identified. So once this is over with, Anderton sneaks into pre-crime headquarters, ends up kidnapping the girl precog, who, by the way, is named Agatha, and then discovers what is in the minority report. The man that Anderson is supposedly going to kill, or Anderton, I keep saying Anderson, has been paid to pretend that he is the one who kidnapped and killed Anderton's missing son, obviously sparking a lot of emotion and vengefulness in Anderton. Anderton finds this man and is about to kill him when Agatha, who's been tagging along this whole time, convinces Anderton that he can make the choice to not kill him. By this time, Whitweir, who's been chasing him, has figured out that Anderton's being framed and has murdered himself because of this discovery. Anderton is eventually captured. Now, at this point in the story, it's learned that the reason he was framed was because his boss, the director of pre-crime, wants a way to prove to the public that anyone and everyone can be caught by the pre-crime program, even an allegedly good cop like Anderton. Then comes the big twist, or maybe a second twist. While Anderton is finding out from Agatha what happened to him, we discover that then that Agatha, when she was taken for the pre-crime program, was taken from her drug addict mom, who was killed by the director, and then he used pre-crime to cover it up. So now, the night before pre-crime, the program is going to be launched nationwide. Anderton is able to prove to everyone that the director framed him and was a murderer himself. And this results in the canceling and dismantling of the pre-crime program. And there you have it in a large five-minute nutshell. There you have it, folks. 
That's right. Save yourself some time. Subscribe to us instead of watching these movies. So There you go. <laughs> Who needs movies? <laughs> Who needs movies? Yeah, exactly. Oh, that was pretty good. So I've got a lot of facts about this movie. This movie is really fun to talk about uh, because of the... Steven Spielberg really... There's, there's some movies you can tell that he's super passionate about. And this one... I think he had done AI before this, which he had fixed. Yeah. He had finished that one up because that was actually supposed to be Stanley Kubrick's next movie, but Stanley Kubrick passed away during, uh, what was it after? Yeah, after he had locked the edit on Eyes Wide Shut and he was working on AI. 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 That's a different movie, man. Apparently. Different movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, anyways. Yeah, so Steven Spielberg took over for the him and made that movie, and then this was the first one that they did. They were going to film Minority Report before AI, but they the things just didn't line up, and they actually ended up replacing almost the entire cast except for Tom Cruise on this. So, pretty interesting. Right. Yeah, I did see, and maybe you were going to say this, but I did notice too that originally this was going to be written as kind of a sequel to Total Recall. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That, Which that was the original screenplay, and honestly, when watching this movie, it felt like to me like he, that just on my own before I read that, I remember thinking, "Man, this really feels like the Total Recall world." It would have worked actually because since this only took place at one part when of the of the United States versus the depending on which Total Recall story you're you're based off, it would go off of the Arnold Schwarzenegger one where he actually goes to Mars. So right. that would have totally worked if he came back and then they were testing out this program and he was part of it. That would be pretty cool. But So they had, they rewrote this and it was intended to be a futuristic version of the French connection, connection. Hmm. So I, yeah, I started that film. I still need to watch that movie. It was, it seemed like it was pretty good. I can't remember why I didn't finish it. So Josh, what was, uh, what was your thoughts on the movie? So one thing that, immediately got me uh the the premise bothered me right off the get-go where they're they're <laughs> catching these criminals before they commit a crime and i right this is something that when i first saw the movie i don't know that i had a real uh any real thought about it other than i was excited about oh it's action it's sci-fi and you know a bunch of cool tech that supposedly is going to be happening in the near future mm-hmm. but my i i guess political leanings have kind of changed my my outlook on politics has changed a lot since 2002 and i'm i definitely lean now towards i don't like the government having tons of control over everything mhm uh particularly my life when you see people getting charged for a crime that they haven't even committed yet and that's the law that that really bothered me and i that uh was definitely a, a, an immediate reaction that i had when i first started rewatching this that's interesting, because with the red ball situations, like where they only have like thirty minutes before the murder takes place, because it's not premeditated. That one, especially the first one, like the dude's swinging at her when Tom Cruise comes through the the door and tackles right. him. So that one was kind of like, yeah, he was gonna, he was definitely gonna murder her for sure. Right. So I do, I do see like this. I do see what you're saying. Because with the potential minority report, which in the story, the mi minority report it means something different than the movie, which I thought was interesting. Because in the movie, the minority report was just, they were talking more about like the echoes of it, 
of like it, right. it could be an echo or a blip of something that they had seen already seen and in the story that it's based off of was was more like if there's a minority report it means like the potential for the future could change it could they they talked a lot more about there could be alternate futures and in the movie i didn't feel like they really breached that subject at all no it it definitely was just more free will versus i guess you could say determ- predetermination yeah and it it was just it was it was just kind of black and white yeah but yeah the sh- the short story definitely takes you down that thought process of of having a, you know one choice leads you down a, a different path that a, another choice would have right because we talked about this very briefly before we started the show on how in this movie he decides to not kill the person and uh just because i mean i get he doesn't have a reason to uh, in the first place first but in the book the i'm sorry the story he intentionally decides once he figures out what's going on he's he's like no i am going to kill this person to prove the system right so he can keep the system going because the bad guy wanted the system to fail or the right. supposed bad guy depends on what what side of the argument you're on true yeah if you're if you are for a you know militaristic totalitarian totalitarian government situation then in the story in the you know the novella you would be rooting for what would you consider the bad guy? But Anderton's self-sacrifice is because he believes in the system and that it is a good thing. And the thing that's interesting too is in the the, the short story, it's it's pretty much confirms that the precogs are like dead on with what they with what their predictions are because the reason they argue is because the future keeps changing every time he find like when he found out about it. And right. So if you had a flawless system that could prevent murder but gave more authority to the government, that would be a harder thing to to argue with, I feel like. Right. So, interesting. That's true. Got some some heavy heavy thoughts on this movie. This is pretty cool. Yeah, and this this movie definitely has some heavy themes that it deals with and and a lot of layers, which uh I did read a quote from spielberg on that that i am not finding in my notes it's somewhere there it is so spielberg did say when he i guess after i had finished this movie that this story is 50 percent character and 50 percent very complicated storytelling with layers and layers of murder mystery and plot which is i completely agree with that because when i first or when i rewatched it i should say i remember thinking man there's just not a lot of character development in particular with tom cruise he feels very one-dimensional and i guess some people might argue that's tom cruise anyways but (laughs) that's not really what i'm trying to say here i just kind of felt like they almost could have taken any semi big name movie star from that from the 2000 early 2000s and put him in that that role i know a lot of what we like to see tom cruise do probably since then are crazy action movies where he's doing his own stunts. But a lot of the, the action work and stunts that happened to this movie didn't necessarily, there was a lot of CGI or other things going on. That wasn't necessarily him that made the action exciting. Yeah, there, there was for sure. A, you know, it's kind of funny. There's actually, I don't feel like there's actually that much action in this movie. It's more of a film noir type of film. Sure. And the action scenes are they're they're very fun, they're well shot. The sound design in this movie is 
is very good. I like yeah. I like how when they introduce Danny Whitwer when he first goes to like shake his hand and then that the computer that that's moved by Tom Cruise's hands is kind of like the holographic thing in Iron Man but a little bit different. Right. Uh, it's it's I like when he goes to shake his hand and if the, all that stuff flies off the screen and you can't see it and then Whitwer says gum like he's offering him gum and then in the next scene when they actually have an exchange together after they stop the the first murder from happening Whitwer is smacking his gum like the entire time he's talking, which makes you subconsciously be irritated at him and not like him. So right. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, so the sound design was is awesome, though, because there's one thing I didn't know this, but the retina scanner, when they scan his eye and it makes a confirmation sound, that actually is the same sound that years later Apple will use as the charging sound whenever you're charging your phone. So this movie did predict the future, but in a different way. Right. And they I did see that, yeah. That was pretty cool that they had a Steven Spielberg had a bunch of futurists sit down and try to make the movie as futuristically possible, which is pretty amazing. Oh yeah. That was I think that was I don't know if, if it was just other film nerds at the time that had really talked about this and then maybe there was articles about it. I don't remember, but I just I remember when I went and saw it, people were saying like, Oh, this is all tech that's you know, probably 20, maybe 30 years out from now and, or 15, 20 years, it's, it's real possible that this stuff's going to happen. And I remember that being a big draw for me watching the movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's definitely, it's cool. Cause I watched this movie with my wife and we were about 30 minutes into the movie and my wife turns to me and she goes, I, I buy this movie. I buy this world. This seems like this is actually like a realistic world. I think they did a, a good job of really selling the futuristic idea where you just kind of accept it of what's going on in it. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Because uh, right. I don't think there was really any sequences in this movie that pulled me out of the world uh, where I was like, oh, no. that's definitely movie magic. Yeah. And that's one thing that for the most part, or at least classic Spielberg, I mean, he's the master when it comes to these amazing action type sequences yeah. and making them flow. Maybe with the exception of the Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull yeah. movie. That that was a little bit too much CGI for my taste, I think, for a lot of people. I actually, I need to watch that movie again. I watched a really good um, video on YouTube of dissecting why the movie is actually good. And it changed my opinion. Where I was like, yeah, because my opinion was so high when I was going sure. to, to watch it. Because, like, you're going to add another one to the immortal Indiana Jones trilogy. Like... Those, right. are, those are some of my favorite movies, and so I was so pumped with the new movie coming out, and if your expectations are too high, like, yeah, it's definitely not on the same level, but anyways, that's another rabbit trail right there. So <laughs> Absolutely. That's a good rabbit trail. That's a good one. There it is. Well, going back to what you were saying about sound design, it really, this this movie is so serious. Yes, and it is. It, the audio and everything just doesn't give you a break for a second. You You're in it. It's it's intense uh, when it's not just tense. Yeah, you don't you don't get a break. You really you really don't. There is a couple of I would say classic little Stephen King Stephen King Stephen Spielberg jokes that he gets away with it because they do the same thing actually in the Indiana Jones movies where it can be serious and he takes a couple of hits to the face and he like tries to shake it off and you're laughing at him but at the same time it doesn't release the tension from that fight scene. Right. And so, like, the one scene where Anderton 
drops his eyeballs and he's like oh no oh yeah and like we're busting up laughing at that but it still stays pretty serious and oh, yeah yeah but there's little little spielberg-ish moments that he can fit in there which like as an audience it makes you like continually to enjoy the film but it doesn't he doesn't really release the tension and it's it's great and there's several parts the first time i saw this movie specifically when witwer gets uh, he gets shot once he finds out who's the villain, and then he just right. immediately gets shot. Like I jumped the first time I saw this movie; I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah. So that when that was sad because this is the first movie I saw Colin Farrell in, who I am now a big fan of. He is yes, great, great actor. He is, and that that was something that sort of jumped out to me too. I felt like he had the more interesting character, I guess you could say, between his portrayal of that character and then tom cruise doing anderton uh, even like you said with the smack in the gum and making you hate him yeah and i feel like with tom cruise you're just kind of yep that's the hero there we go and there's you just i don't know that you're even necessarily rooting for him at all it's he's just there doing the doing the part but <laughs> you're like can't you t-? it's like especially when he gets uh, when they when Whitworth finds out that he's doing drugs and he's like, no, he's been through a lot. Okay, it's it's right. Johnny Anderson. <laughs> he's a good guy. Leave him alone. Right. Give the guy a break, man. Leave Brittany alone. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, yeah. And uh, the other thing too about the retro, I like what they do is the they the constant use of retro music and jazz music throughout the entire movie when they're playing music from nineteen or two thousand and fifty four. Except for they go into the the biohacker place and everybody you can decide to do whatever you want like i guess that was like the ultimate vice experience and that's when you hear like the pounding futuristic type of like trance music almost something like that like house music right but besides that i was just i was really keeping an eye out for that and it, yeah they totally stay away from futuristic mu- music which can make a movie dated later in the like after this 10 years after this movie's been out well, we're going to mention The Matrix again, but that movie is chock full of futuristic <laughs> electronic music that absolutely sounds like it came from the late 90s. That's true. <laughs> and, or at least the late 90s vision of what the future music would sound like. So, Just wait, people. We are going to get to The Matrix. We're going to have to. We That is a midnight watch, if there ever was one. <laughs> absolutely. Every time he they say Anderton, I always think of mr anderson exactly and i think that's why we keep slipping up and saying anderson right because i think i've seen we've seen the i've seen the matrix at least a dozen times i've of seen course. i've seen this movie like like thrice i think something like that so another thing bringing john williams back in to was he scored attack of the clones and then minority report another thing that's interesting in comparison to attack of the clones is the car the car manufacturer plant chase scene when they're fighting and they're, the machines are putting the car together around uh, Whitware and Anderton when they're fighting, yeah. that is very reminiscent of when, uh, shoot, the two characters from Attack of the Clones, clearly my most favorite Star Wars movie. <laughs> right. <of> all. <laughs> You're so quick with the character names. I'm so quick with it, yeah. But with Padme and Anakin, when they're on the conveyor belt and the dro- they go into the droid manufacturing plant and they do almost the exact same scene, which so it's kind of funny these movies came out like a month apart from each other and they do have almost the same type of action sequence of trying to get through this this manufacturing plant yeah 
So I thought that was pretty interesting. I did Very like curious. One. That was a little cheesy when he just kind of like, he gets away and just drives the car out of the plant. And I, right. I saw somebody online was like, hey, just so you know, there's no security in the future with Lexus <laughs> right. plants. So I was like, all right. So we can do the same thing if we try to try to get away with that. Right. You want a new Lexus? Just go on down to the factory and drive one out. Right. It was pretty cool, though, that they actually renamed the mutants in this movie. In the, the book, I don't remember if they named the mutants. But then this, they named all of the mutants after uh, mystery writers. Yes. So Agatha Christie, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and Dashiell Hammond. And uh, I will answer your question. In the short story, because I just finished reading it before we hopped on here, they did have names. I, I remember one was, well, the girl was named Donna. I know that. I can't remember the other two, but they did have names. I don't oh, know that cool. there weren't twins. I don't think they just had three names. One thing that I, it's interesting to me, I a little history on myself. I worked with special needs adults uh, for about five years. Actually, I was working with them when this movie came out. Oh, that's so cool. there, or I should say Philip K. Dix uh, in the short story. He's, he's pretty ruthless with, calling them the mutants or how he talks about them and they're he's basically calling them retards and when, when was it written was it in the 50s no it was i think it was in the 70s because i i feel like he likes the term mutant a lot yeah and i i i correct me if i'm wrong i know well obviously x-men you know stanley made that kind of a big term and i'm sure as a fellow science fiction writer, I, I imagine he probably read some comics and was aware of the whole thing, but he's kind of derogatory on, on the precogs and their drooling mindless state is kind of how he puts it. And they're just kind of shut up in a room and just fed intravenously. Just very, not, a, not much respect. Not that there's a lot of respect in the movie towards the precogs. They're definitely treated as tools he definitely doesn't have a whole lot of respect for people in, in that state of life. Yeah. No, that's abs- that, that's uh, that's very true. The one thing that they definitely did, which also helped the story, because if he, if the mutants in the story were aware, like Agatha, because you really grow to, uh, you really get connected as a viewer with, to Agatha, and you sympathize with her. Yes. And in the in the books, they're just yeah, mindless. They don't really have any particular life form which in this one they're extremely sedated and specifically kept like uh, my wife and i were talking about like the fact that when agatha he pulls her out of the tub and she's walking around and like can't really control her body very well because she's not really she's not used to walking around and so how they'd have to like keep moving her legs and arms to keep make sure that the muscles wouldn't atrophy and things like that right so that's pretty interesting but they do a good job really changing the plot to you feel bad for them. So you want the program to end in the movie besides political views, but just so that these three people actually, cause they, they did this again. It was against their will. They weren't, they didn't have a choice to do this. No, they were forced to, to become what they were. Yes. So, Which is one of the, one of those deep concepts in the story, that whole free will thing versus you don't have a choice. It's decided. And now it's going to happen. It's pretty it's pretty interesting too. I thought like for example the the main villain in this movie wants to keep the program growing and 
he you know frames Anderton for finding out that the main villain was the murdered Ag- Agatha's mom because the mom cleaned up her drug ways. So basically, the precogs. You know, you mentioned this in the synopsis that they're they're invented because they're the children of parents that have done horrible drug use. I think the name of the drug in the movie was like Neurotin or something like that. No, that's not it. That's a that's gabapentin. That's actually a real thing. I don't remember uh. what the drug was. But it's it's pretty interesting though. So these basically are like they are children of drug users, and then they were then they were lab experience uh, experiments to try to cure them of that, and that's how they became precogs. Right. And so the thing I thought was interesting is why why didn't they try to do this more? It's like since this is obviously an inhumane experience, and they're trying to keep it on the hush hush to keep it going. So why didn't they do more experiences like this on other children, just like if they wanted to do a sequel movie or something like that? Right. Well, I mean, unless that was the point of him wanting to have the program rolled out uh, nationwide, maybe at that point they would have tried to create more precogs. Now that's an interesting idea. Though that makes a lot of sense. All right, man, so we got to dive in to real quick. What was your, like, favorite so, so when i think of minority report immediately one scene comes to mind so what was it does that do is there a specific scene that comes to mind when you remember this movie oh man there's a couple uh, i think when they drop into the park at the beginning to go try to find the the first suspect who's about to murder his wife and the wife's lover and he's trying to figure out which door to kick in and, and run through yeah so i remember that and then the the eyeball transplant section is definitely yes kind of a big one too yes now that this whole, the whole spider scene is brilliant filmmaking and such a fascinating sequence too just like especially when the spider like hits the taps the water and electrocutes it and he comes out of the water it's it's so cool uh but apparently tom cruise that you know, say what you want about that dude's personal life, but I got some mad respect for him as an actor. He brings it to whatever role he's he's in. Oh, no and doubt. He learned how to... They were going to CG the air bubble from his nose, and he told Spielberg, he was like, hey, give me a little bit, give me some time. I think I can learn it. He freaking learned how to do that, to like blow an air bubble from his nose on command for that sequence. But it's... Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. He, he's got he's got a dedication that a lot of actors don't have. So let's go on to final thoughts and let's do the rating right now. So relevant is this movie still relevant today? Okay, first off, no, that's not that's the second one. Let's 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 do this correctly now. Uh, did it hit its mark when it was first released? It made three hundred fifty eight mil. So what do you think, Josh? Did it hit its mark? I absolutely think it did. I would just, it was a movie trying to show you the near future. And I think it absolutely nailed it. I think it was totally believable and going back and, and watching it now, there's not too much that isn't real close to how it is now. There's only maybe a couple things that it just technology did not go that direction and it's kind of obsolete. So it does kind of leave you with a little bit of a retro futuristic feel but that's how I would take it now. But definitely in the moment when I came out in 2002, I think it absolutely hit the mark. Uh, I agree. I definitely agree on that one. Is it still relevant today? 
I believe the themes in the story are definitely still relevant. Yeah, I agree. As for people talking about this movie, I don't hear people really talking about this movie too much. Even when you talk about Spielberg and this, the great, the, the great Spielberg movies, like I hear people reference War of the Worlds more than this movie. Even though I think this is a better movie than War of the Worlds. All right, so we got to rate this on. Did this movie hit its mark? Uh, I'm going to give this an A for hitting its mark when it came out. I agree. I think it definitely is a solid A. As far as how it holds up now, I guess I'd have to give it a C. Oh, okay. it's 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 solid in my opinion as far as a futuristic look at how things are going to be. Uh, yeah, for me, so is it still relevant today? You gave it a C. Uh, yeah, as for like impact, movie-wise and political-wise, yeah, I agree. Probably give it a C. It's a solid uh, Steven, Silber- Steven Spielberg movie. But, yeah, it's not exactly like high on the list. Right. It's. I feel like you watch... Man, we just, we we have a major love affair with Matrix. But you watch the Matrix, <laughs> and that story still, I think, is relevant, and it's still something you would talk about. It's still a a, a mile marker. Yeah, I think we need to change the name of the podcast to "We Love the Matrix" podcast. Yes, apparently, movies we movies we compare to the Matrix. That actually is pretty catchy. It is. And join us next week <laughs> for our new podcast. We should just do a podcast and be like Minority Report versus The Matrix or Pet Cemetery versus The Matrix. Absolutely. <laughs> and all right, so give me give me your overall enjoyment rating. Personal enjoyment on this one. I okay, is this one movie that I would just watch at least every year and stuff? I give it a C. It's a solid film. It's a good movie. I agree. I'm 100% on the C as well. It, it was fun. I don't know how much I'll talk about it with people, but it is one that hey, if it came out on TV, I'd, I'd definitely watch it for at least a little bit. Yeah. No, absolutely. Any final? So, any final thoughts? I do have a do have something I want to bring up. It actually came out in our last podcast on Pet Cemetery. Just want to dive back on that for a second. So. There was a creature that was in the Micmac burial ground. Do you remember what that was? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what you called it? I think, did I call it a Winnebago? <laughs> no, you close. <laughs> you called you called what is known as the Wendigo a Windango. <laughs> okay. Well, at least it's a little so, bit better than a Winnebago. <laughs> Yeah, but it was pretty close. And as soon as I heard that, I'm like, what is he talking about? A Windango. (laughs) Windango ate my baby. Yeah, it definitely sounds more like an Australian type of creature or something. Right. (laughs) You move out of California and your accent just gets all crazy. It just goes away real quick. That's not even an Oklahoma accent. I I don't know what that is. I don't know either, but I had to point that out. That's def- that's hilarious. Yeah. This is a windango of a movie for sure. <laughs> I absolutely. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think that about does it for me on the on this podcast. We do definitely got a quote though on the next podcast that's coming up. So, uh, let's go let's let's say that quote. All right, here we go. You going to kill me, snake? Not now. I'm too tired. Maybe later. 
All right. <laughs> <laughs> You'll never guess what that You'll is. You'll never guess. Not in, a, not in a million years will you guess which movie we're going to be doing next. I will say, though, I did try to... I typed that into YouTube, and it brought up a bunch of videos about snakes killing people. So, not okay. not the uh, not quite the way we're going for it. But anyways, thanks for thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you shared it with your friends or anyone you think would like it. Yes, and please uh, hit that subscribe button. Give us a five star rating on iTunes if you would. Or hey, we'd also appreciate a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Yes, we are currently adding it to more and more platforms every week as we get better and better at doing this so thank you guys so much for listening have a great week and as always keep up the watch